0: Coming to Kearney, the weekend of March the 24th and the 25th, the Todd Becker Foundation is presenting their Stint Discipleship Weekend. Now, this event for teens, their youth leaders, and their parents is going to be featuring Sean McDowell. Sean is known for his ability to speak truth to a new generation, and our guest serves as a professor in the Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Sean, welcome back to The Morning Conversation. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. So we had you on about seven years ago. Wow. You had just released the book, The Apologetics and Study Bible for Students. Great to have you on again. So much has happened in the last seven years. So, um, yeah, COVID, race riots, you know. What impact are you seeing among youth as a result of all that stuff? Like, what are you seeing?
2: Well, I think the big disruption with students, of course, was COVID. Mm. So from their experience, of course, missing prom and not being in class and having graduations, you know, in the big picture things, we adults look back and we're like, okay, you know, what's a big deal? But in their world, that's a big deal. Jeez. You know, their life was turned upside down. I had students at, at Biola. We had to Zoom for an entire year. You know that was that was difficult for students, and going into that, there was already mental health concerns. And Jean Twenge in her book *iGen* talked about around almost a decade ago. You start to see this hockey stick increase in Mm -hmm. depression, loneliness, anxiety, and it crossed demographics, whether it was finances, where people lived, race, etc. And in many ways, what the pandemic did is just exacerbate a lot of that hurt that was already there. And now we're seeing that play out. So you mentioned just riots and cultural upheaval. So much of that is just people who, number one, were pent up. But we just have a hurting broken culture. And I'm seeing that played out in the lives of young people.
1: Sean, it wasn't always that way. I mean, the world's always been fallen, but in the last even decades, like things are coming to roost, right? Specifically among our, our youth. So as you think about just some of the foundational Broken things in our culture that is creating and bringing about broken youth. What would be some of the top things you go? This broken piece of our culture is what's bringing about the brokenness in our kids.
2: This is such an interesting question because, in one sense, there's nothing new under the sun, right? right. Since Genesis right. three, there's been brokenness. But yeah. I had a chance to write a book with my father's evidence It demands verdict. Mm-hmm. He set out to disprove Christianity, ended up being surprised by the evidence. Mm-hmm. So he wrote this in 1972. So one of the cool things working on him is I was like dad, you've been doing this five decades. How has (laughs) culture shifted? And he started on the free speech platform in like the late 60s and 70s. He said, son, there was this sense then that the problem in the world was out there Hmm. and we could agree on an objective external truth, objective problems, and we could fix it. Now that has shifted internally to something within the individual Hmm. that's broken. There's this self-focus. So that's why you hear phrases like live your truth, rather than discover truth, find truth, follow truth, things have shifted in such a subjective fashion. Now, what's at the heart of that? I'd probably say a couple things. Number one that has changed everything in the landscape, of course, is social media. Mm. And I don't think social media is bad. I love social media. I use it, but it makes things about the self. Mm. You have access to unlimited information, which makes it difficult to discover what is actually true. So that's turned the world upside down. In a sense, this generation can have what they want, where they want it, how they want it, when they want it. Mm -hmm. And it makes you feel like, you know, the whole world revolves around me. The other piece, though, I think at the root of it is just broken relationships. When I talked to my father, you know, 60s and 70s, there was not the same level of broken families, even though our culture clearly had issues back then. I'm not pretending it mm-hmm. doesn't. The level of broken relationships, I think, is at the root of so much of the chaos and hurt in our culture today. So in one way, is we have a cancel culture because I think people have been canceled and treated that way in their own relationships and have never learned how to love. So they lash out and just cancel others.
1: Sean, you talked earlier this morning about how there was this hockey stick as far as this uptick in depression. And obviously there are people who are asking the question of why and they're researching and they're thinking about it. I think the typical person and family isn't. We just accept things. Even when if you look at statistically, you go, something's happening and it's not good. Can we maybe try to figure out something's not working right for us? Us as a culture, mm. it should create an alarm and a response. What keeps us from going? There was this significant uptick, something's changing. Let's try to figure it out.
2: So I think two things are going on. Number one, we just have an alarmist culture mm. where we're alarmed about everything. If you want somebody to retweet you, be alarmist. So when I started doing my YouTube channel, that's not me. I'm not an alarmist. I'll speak truth, but I'd rather build bridges and bring clarity. I was told that's not really going to work on YouTube. Mm. People need alarm and (laughs) shock and awe when there really is something that's alarming and concerning. It's just another tweet to scroll through. I think second, we confuse the root of the problem with the fruit of the problem. So a lot of the things that you and I talk about starting this show, whatever they may be, debates on issues culturally taking place today, so much of those are the fruit of our relational brokenness. And so if we just deal with the fruit, and never get to the root, we're never going to see progress. So I think with this generation, a huge issue is just the ubiquitous access to pornography. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere. Well, the root of the problem is a spiritual and relational vacuum. And that is one lie that's trying to fill it up. So insofar as we have this this culture that just everything is shock and awe, we don't always realize when it actually is not just breaking news, but a real issue. And I think we confuse the fruit. With the root of the issue.
1: What are some strategies you go, we need to kind of reset our emergency meter, so to speak?
2: Well, if I knew the answer to that question, <laughs> I would be a rich man, Stan. That is actually the question I ask myself a lot. And I've got a couple solutions to it. Number one, we can just look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we dealing with the root of the issue? Mm. I can't control what anybody else does. And second, am I contributing to this kind of culture, with my use of social media, with the platform that God has given me.
1: Sean, you know, a ministry that you've become familiar with now, what we've known about for a number of years is uh, the Todd Becker Foundation does a great work across the Midwest for sure. And they're hosting a stint discipleship weekend and very much the reasons that we were talking about this morning, the the critical time that we're in and the need for our youth to be engaged uh, and challenged and inspired and equipped for what they're facing. You know, They reached out to you. You said yes. <laughs> Why did you say yes? Why are you coming to Nebraska? You've got plenty of stuff on your plate.
2: That is totally a fair question. I've got a young family. Mm-hmm. I live in Southern California. Uh, I guess the answer is partly I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I always consider it a privilege to speak somewhere that somebody would actually put me on a platform and care what i have to say i really don't take that for granted i consider it a privilege and a joy and second i want to partner with organizations that have a similar vision for reaching this generation we all have a different role so like you mentioned the todd becker foundation they have a heart for their city and they for community and beyond and are on the ground reaching kids and the next generation i teach full-time at biola but if i can come in for a weekend. Speak truth, challenge them, reinforce the things that they're saying, try to equip kids and challenge them. Sometimes a voice from the outside, so to speak, which is why in my own setting, we bring in people to speak as well, mm. is just one piece of a larger way of reaching this generation. So bottom line is I just want to partner with organizations that let me speak truth, care about youth, have a sense of not alarmism, but a sense of urgency of what's at stake for this generation. And- uh folks in nebraska seem to get it
1: (laughs) (laughs) sean i noticed that uh, one of your topics at the stint weekend is what is truth Mm. so why is that topic such a key topic to address with youth today
2: so let me take you back again to when my my dad was first doing his research on apologetics he did not have to include a chapter on truth He just launched into a book. Here's the evidence for Jesus, evidence for the Bible. But then we updated that book recently and realized you can't just jump into the evidence and start making a case for Jesus because there's confusion now in our culture about what is truth. Can we know truth? Why is truth even important? Hence, we hear people say things like live your truth. That might be your truth, but it's not my truth. That may be true for you but not true for me. So we just, it's really just because of the cultural confusion that we have to bring to light what truth is. Now, my job in this talk is really just to surface what people intuitively know. We know that truth matters, Stan, we do. I had a student ask me one time after a talk, he goes, Dr. McDowell, you talked about truth for an hour. Why is truth even important? I said, well, do you want the true answer or the false answer? (laughs) That's so good. I I mean, if you ask that question, you're assuming (laughs) truth matters, but he just didn't realize Mm. it. So that's one reason why. But second, Jesus claimed to be the truth. Mm. He's not one truth. He's not a truth. Jesus seemed to think that truth matters and that what we believe about it not only helps us navigate our day-to-day lives here, but eternity so a lot is at stake hmm. in understanding truth.
1: Sean, you know, our kids are growing up in the culture where the narrative is you have your own truth as a youth. I think about our kids growing up and. Let's say they're even pretty solid in the truth. <laughs> All their friends are talking about their truth. Is it okay for them just to accept that and kind of go that way and go, I know I've got the truth and you can have your truth and I'll accept you and your truth? Like, how do they navigate that? Is there something they should engage in that conversation or you know, you know what I'm asking?
2: Yeah. I think the most important thing for parents is just to make sure their kids have clarity on truth. <laughs> So not all kids are the same. Some kids are very susceptible and influenced by the people that are around them. You know, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good character some are not like my older sister kelly had all friends who were non-christian she would go to parties where people were doing stuff they should not in high school and my sister was so steady she would just never do that and she was a light she was unique and still is in that regard so first off we just got to make sure that this generation is solid and not being swayed by these faulty ideas and then respond accordingly Now, if they are surrounded by their friends, I don't want to put too much pressure on a young person. You got to be a missionary. Like at some point that can be over the top. What I want to do is come behind them and say, hey, here's a way to think carefully. Here's a helpful way to engage your friends in the right time and in the right way to help them think about spiritual things. Here's some tools to navigate these kind of pressures emotionally. Sometimes it can be tough if you're alone, relationally, but also spiritually. And that's what one of my talks is going to be, is just bringing clarity for students. And that clarity gives a lot of confidence so they can ask the right questions. They can see through the lies. and then if their friends are open to it, have a chance maybe to talk with them about Jesus. So,
1: Sean, last uh, summer you uh, released a book called A Rebel's Manifesto, (laughs) Choosing Truth, Real Justice, and Love Amid uh, the Noise of Today's World. You write that uh, it takes a rebel to be a Christian these days. So, I'd love for you to unpack that.
2: Yeah. So, when you think about a rebel, a lot of us would think of things that are a little bit like rock music, whether it's the... Even the 50s against racial injustice, the 60s against the system, 70s against war, in the words and in the sound and in the dress, it kind of represents rebellion. Well, now that everybody has a smartphone, so to speak... Rock music doesn't have the same lure and power and draw that it used to. So I started thinking about what does it mean to be a rebel? Well, everybody's canceling. Everybody's trying to shock. Everybody's trying to draw attention to themselves, which, as we said earlier, often involves just demonizing and stereotyping the other. I started thinking, what does it actually mean to be a rebel today? Well, someone who's a rebel today is somebody who's willing to listen build common ground across political worldview differences, and just love people as Jesus did. Now, that doesn't mean not speaking truth. We need a prophetic voice at times that speaks truth with clarity. But Jesus was a friend of sinners, And he didn't play the kind of cancel culture we see in Luke chapter seven. They want to cancel the sinful woman. And Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven, right? He offers grace to her. So a lot of people know me. Their first word that comes to mind isn't rebel. But then when I say maybe because we're not thinking about rebel in the way that we could, here's a generation that could rebel by just having the graciousness and the kindness and the love of Jesus but without compromising truths.
1: So, Sean, another thing that you write in your book is you talk about everyone doesn't agree what good is necessarily, but everyone wants to be seen as good. There was a time when Christianity, those who espouse Christian values, were seen as good. We just live in a very interesting time where that has just been broken down. And and now plenty of times to espouse a Christian perspective on the world is to be seen as narrow-minded. There's some pretty negative things coming at the truths of Scripture really that that get communicated into the culture. How do we help our kids navigate that?
2: Well, I think the first thing we need to realize is how much the landscape has changed. Mm-hmm. You know, the '90s, growing up, and '80s in elementary school. You're right. Like, if somebody was a Christian, it's not like our culture all embraced and lived to that. But that was great, good for you. We should aspire to that. We're just not going to live it. Many people did, but the narrative has shifted. Now, if you really are a Christian, in particular in areas on sexuality, you are the cause of harm. And we've got to realize that this generation, that's not an academic issue, that's personal. And they're trying to navigate what it means to be in a world that views them that way. And especially because they use smartphones, they are seeing the entire world and so many people with power pushing that narrative part of the book yes it's written for students but it's written for adults to read it and think through wow here's the pressures this generation is facing here's the challenges they're trying to navigate so first is we just got to have compassion understand where they're coming from second i think this generation really needs role models so i started the book off with two people who were just challenged to live out their faith in a college classroom on a sports team, easily could have compromised. It cost one of them something significant, the other one not. Well, these kinds of stories, which ultimately trace back to biblical stories like Daniel, is a way of saying to this generation, hey, we are following a crucified Savior. Mm. There is a cost to following Jesus. Expect it. And then now here's some tools to navigate this, such as finding other Christians. The more people that stand up for truth, the less pain there is when you're being alone. Here's some ways to talk with others about your faith. Here's some reasons that this position is true, because when we know something is true, it gives us a confidence to live it out. In some adults need to realize how much things have shifted, but then just start to give tools to this generation to help them navigate what it means to grow up in a very, very different world
1: so Sean uh, every year on mybridge radio we we have a spiritual focus that we invite our listeners to be a part of and uh, for a number of years we've invited the mybridge family to read through the one-year Bible but this year we've changed mm. things up we're just reading through the Gospels every month right so but I, I was intrigued by it to read a blog post of yours entitled don't read the entire Bible in 2023 <laughs> <laughs> and you even use reading the gospels each month as an option so what do you see the value of a an approach like this?
2: Well, there's obviously something to be said for a 30,000 foot view, where you read all of the Bible to get the big picture. My concern though, is that we lose the context. You get two or three days behind and you get discouraged and give up. I just don't see it working for a lot of people. I had a chance to meet Bill Bright years ago, who founded Crewe. And uh, he just said to me, he goes, let me encourage you to read the book of Romans Every day for a month. Hmm. And I thought, why? And I started to realize that repetition, when you read something over and over again, you start to own it. You make connections in your mind. You see stuff. You ask new questions. And then all of a sudden you can say things like, oh, Romans 2 is where Paul talks about even people without the law know the law. Romans 3 is where he talks about the depth of sin that we all have. Romans 12, he starts getting practical and talks about ways to live in love towards people. Well, when you read something, whether it's the Gospels over and over again, or Romans over and over again, you just own it in a new way. And I think that helps it sink in. Now you might not have time to read all 16 chapters of Romans. So break it up into eight chapters, or if you can just do four, read those over and over again, or listen to it in a podcast or driving or exercising. And it really is amazing how that makes it just sink in, in a way that Other plans often don't, in my experience.
1: Sean, one thing I often think about, you grew up in a Christian home, right? Your dad knew Jesus as you were growing up. There's lots of statistics that we see out there of kids that grew up in Christian homes that leave the faith Mm -hmm. after they leave the home. If you could just speak to parents and say, like, again, we can't con- completely control all of that, but to say that we're no influence on that at all is, I think, a bit naive, right? So there's some level of influence and responsibility we need to take to try to invest in our kids so that perfectly that doesn't happen. And one thing that you'd say to parents, boy, if there's one thing that you do, do this.
2: Well, my one thing would have three steps in it, <laughs> if that's okay. That's because. Okay. I've been studying the research on this for at least a couple decades, mm. and you can't give a formula for People. We're not bricks, but as a whole, the data shows that caring adults and parents who want to pass in their faith, number one, need to model a yep. faith that's compelling to their kids. Yep. Second, build a relationship with your kids, get to know them on their turf and care about them, an emotional connection. And third, engage them in meaningful spiritual conversation, not a lecture. So that was one of the purposes of the book is just to be a tool to say, read this with your kids. I Talk about this with your kids. These are the thorny issues you mentioned at the beginning, Stan, the most thorny issues of our culture. Well, we gotta talk about those to show that our faith applies in all areas of life. So there's no guarantees, but I think that formula, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in scare quotes is the plan that the data shows if we want to pass in our faith. Model, relationship, engage.
1: Huge. Awesome. Okay, one last question. What's one thing that you'd say? Don't do this. So we talked about what two do, what would be the thing that you'd say, don't do
2: this? I think it would be the opposite of this. When I engage a lot of non-Christians, who many formerly were in the faith, so many will talk about how they were in the church, but it was just legalistic and it was rule-based. And there was no heart of the relationship and connection to real life. I see that over and over again. So I guess if you're going to have a formula for turning kids away from the faith. Make it legalistic and about the rules and not something you model and you live and you engage race relationally with the next generation.
0: Well, Sean, simply put, this has been an amazing morning. We are really praying for a packed house full of teenagers eager to know truth when you come to Kearney next month on the 24th and the 25th for the Todd Becker Foundation Stint Weekend. Now, we have all the details about that on our website, mybridgeradio.net, including information on getting that 25% discount. Sean, thanks so much for joining us this morning.
2: Thanks, man. Enjoyed it.